Hello there, my name is Danny Anderson and I have five questions for interesting people. This is an interview project for the Untaking Substack. The idea behind this series is to amplify the voices of people who think enough of the world that they're willing to do interesting things to make it a little bit better. People who haven't settled into cynicism. I have five questions for them with maybe a little follow-up here and there. Hope you enjoy it. If you'd like to answer the five questions yourself or think you know someone who might, feel welcome to send me an email at the Untaking Substack. And while you're there, please consider signing up for the newsletter, which is entirely free. That way you won't miss any interesting people. And now here's five questions with interesting people. All right. And my guest today is Adrian Nybauer, and I'm going to let Adrian introduce himself and tell us who he is and what he does. And then I'll run down the five questions with this very interesting person. Adrian. Hi, uh, my name is, like I said, Adrian Nybauer. I teach the fifth grade in a public school in Aurora, Colorado. Um, I've been teaching 20 years, just finished the big 2-0. So it's kind of a big milestone. Um, and yeah, I have been in the same school district. I'm teaching in the same school district that I grew up in, um, which is kind of cool. So I've been uh, very invested in my own school district because I've been here for a while. So yeah, thanks for having me. So 20 years is actually a lot more than 20 years for you. <laughs> it is actually a lot more than 20 years. It's really more like 40 some years. actually. But, uh, yeah, it's um, it's kind of surreal to be teaching in the same district. I mean, my kids all go to the district or go to school in the district that I'm in. Um, and I really had no plans of teaching anywhere else. But it's just kind of funny how you blink your eyes and 20 years go by and I'm I'm still at it. So. Yeah. And it says something because teaching is an increasingly difficult profession, uh, as everyone knows. And so uh, we all, of course, thank you for uh, your dedication to the work, which is one of the reasons that you're here today. So I have five questions for you, as I have for everyone. And I have, uh, they're rather random. You might recognize the format from something like Inside the Actor's Studio. I don't know if you remember that show. Yeah, yeah I do remember that show. Uh, just sort of random questions meant to almost catch you off guard, but you know them in advance and take them whatever direction you feel like you want. I, you don't have to feel like you're figuring out my interpretation of what I, where I was trying to get you to go. If uh, your answer to this question takes you somewhere, that'll make it all the more interesting. So I'm going to just begin with the first one. How is it that you're trying to make the world a better place with your work? Um, so... I, like you said, I've been, you know, or, or I've been teaching for 20 years. So um, I do believe that teaching is like a calling for me. I didn't enter into teaching thinking that way. Um, and like you said, teaching is really, really hard. Um, and so I do think that I've grown a little bit cynical over the years. But um, after 20 years, I mean, I've done a lot of reflecting just this last school year. I, I still very much believe in public education. I love helping my students. Um, and I really just go into it every single day trying to trying to not make school suck for kids. I think that that a lot of kids have they feel like they have to suffer through school. And you know, kinder I teach fifth grade, so I'm in the elementary level, but you know, we're in public school, most of us, for you know, 20 some odd years. You know, so if you go, you know, high school through college, and that's a long time to suffer through anything for some kind of reward at the other end of it. So I really just in my for my one year with my 30 kids, I try and just create experiences that don't suck for them so that they really love coming to school. Um, and I hope that it's something that they remember for the rest of their lives. Um, and, you know, hopefully that pays it forward and that it makes the world a better place. You know, I mean, it sounds a little cheesy, but really that one kid at a time, you know, hoping that, you know, the work that I do day in and day out helps um, 
improve lives for the kids I'm with, and then they can improve the world and hopefully make make the world better through the work that I do. So that's that's my goal. I mean, you never know, right? You know, you send the kids off and you have no idea if what you did or how you did things resonated with them, but you just keep at it. That's that's all I can do. So yeah. It's out of your hands at some point, right? Um it is. I do want to ask a couple of follow-up questions here and yeah. there. And and you mentioned yeah. um a word that is kind of a buzzword for me is cynicism. It's honestly one of the motivations I have for this series is to push back against cynicism, right? I feel yes. like um so much of what's wrong with the world are people who have just sort of given up on things and aren't trying anymore uh, to experience new things and make things better. Um, and the fact that you can experience cynical feelings and yet push forward uh, and, and do the work because you find it's, it's meaningful. Do you have any kind of like uh, insight about how it is you work through it? You, you, yeah. Well, I mean, I, yeah. I've been spending a lot of time reflecting on that aspect specifically because this was a big milestone for me. And I think that Unfortunately, in public education, it's really easy for us teachers to become cynical because we're—I feel like we're—we're we're getting, we're getting poked from a lot of different directions. There's a lot of stakeholders, um, you know, that are pushing and saying, you know, do it this way, standardized test. You're not doing this right, and I mean, it's always been a polarizing environment, but especially, you know, in the last couple of years, it's really blown up with just um, how how hard teaching is getting and it's getting harder than it needs to be because of all of these people and influences pushing into that. And so it's easy to become cynical. Like it's very easy to just kind of shut down and say, you know what, um, you know, those parents don't know what they're talking about or those, those uh, politicians don't know what they're talking about. Or, I mean, but it's also easy to, to take it personally too. Like I think teachers are some of the most insecure people I know. Like we really do, believe that we like live and die based on how we're doing in the classroom in a way. And so there's been times where I've like really been like this, this sucks. And especially with the height of standardized testing, like it's just, it's easy to just kind of shut down and be like, this is just, I, I, I don't like this. Um, however, as I've gotten older and maybe it's just because where I hit my 20 years, you know, I'm 42 maybe because I'm in my my 40s or something about where I'm having to like take stock of things and like really look at the bigger picture of, you know, my my drop in the bucket, which is my life. And um, I do, I do, I return back to this idea that I do believe in public education. Like I really firmly just believe in it with my being. And because I love it so much, that's why I'm willing to critique it and push through it there's a james baldwin quote that comes to mind like i love america so much and it's that's this is why i critique her so much i feel the same way about public education and so i think it's okay to be cynical with aspects of how our system is working or not working for all kids you know you hear that word broken a lot education is broken the system is broken i do believe there are parts of it that are um, and I think it's okay to be cynical about those parts and push back on those things. But overall, like I'm in it for the kids. I'm in it to to make those, to create a space for my students that um, that they can remember, like, you know, a learning experience, not just a dumb lesson that we all have to suffer through. So um, yeah, I mean, the, the cynicism piece is interesting because I, I don't, 
I was worried that I was becoming too cynical. Like when I, when I first became a teacher, I remember those cynical teachers in the teacher's lounge. You know, kids in my day were so much better, so much well-behaved, better behaved. And I really didn't want to be those teachers. And now I'm 20 years in and I'm like, am I one of those teachers? Like, <laughs> um, but I think it's, I think there's a difference between, between being cynical and being critical. Yeah. And so I try, I try and um, be mindful of that. You know, if there's a, a new initiative coming in that we've seen before, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm critical of it, but I don't want to get to the point where I'm just like shutting things down and being overly cynical and being negative. Yeah. In your case, it's not cynicism in the classically defined way. It's understanding the, the reality of the world, right? And, and working through nonetheless. And, and so, yeah. And I love the phrase you threw out there, my drop in the bucket. That's really all we yeah. have, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, really. That's all. I mean, that's what it comes down to. And you just, it's our drop in the bucket and we'll just see see what happens. I wrote that down. I'm going to remember that one. So, so uh, I, you might have a really interesting answer to this one, but how did a particular place make you who you are today? Uh, let's see. I live in Colorado. I'm a, um, I've been here my whole life, born and raised in Colorado. Um, uh, I'm very spoiled by being so close to the mountains. And so we have a particular place. Um, it's Mount um, Evans, just recently renamed Mount Blue Sky. Um, and it's a really special place for me and my family. My, um, my wife's sister, when she was a, a, a toddler, um, unexpectedly drowned and her ashes are scattered up at Mount Blue Sky. Um, and so every year we go up there and we spread rose petals up in this little area where her, and it's been, gosh, it's been 45 years. Um, I never met this girl. I mean, this is my uh, wife's sister, older sister. And so um, she died when my wife was, you know, five or six. So I've never met her, but that when I started dating my wife, um, not right away, but eventually when I, you know, found out that I was like a part of their family, we, it was, I was, I was invited to these pilgrimages up to, to Mount Blue Sky. And, um, I never really had something like that as a kid, like a place, like a, a sacred place. Um, I mean, I've had family members pass and we have cemeteries and, but it's not like, I don't have any memories of really visiting and having like a, a sacred spot. So this was a really big kind of opening, awakening thing for me, this sacred place that, you know, people go to and it's, it's not religious, but it's very spiritual. And it really has, um, I think it shaped my, my um, relationship to religion and spirituality a bit. Like, um, just being outdoors in this beautiful place, um, is very spiritual to me. And it, it kind of makes me appreciate, you know, nature in, in more than just that's pretty, or I like being out in the woods or on a hike. You know, I, I call them God moments where I've like, you know, I see things or something will happen out in nature and I'm like, yeah, okay. And it makes me feel very small and very humble. And I, I like that. It's a nice little reminder. So, um, Mount Blue Sky is definitely a place that, you know, has really shaped kind of the the person that I've, I've grown into. Um, yeah. That's amazing. Um, very powerful too. Um, thanks for sharing that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, again, uh, your questions are sort of following a sequence here. Um, think about a person that you have lost and how did your life, the shape of your life change, uh, to adjust to that loss? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I've lost uh, two people. I mean, 
that probably are the most influential. My mom died when I was a sophomore in college. Um, and then my father-in-law, my wife's dad, he died um, four, four years ago, I think four years ago. When my mom died, I was a kid, you know, I was a sophomore in college. And I really, I really just dove into college. Like I just, I was like, you know, she was sick for a while. And so I was driving home back and forth um, from Boulder to Denver to, to kind of visit. But when she finally passed, I kind of just cut, cut ties with like that. I don't know. It's almost like I cut ties with like my childhood, like, you know, whatever was left of that kind of young Adrian, I was like, you know what? I'm, and I just dove into college and adulthood, um, like put my head down and just plowed through. Um, when my father-in-law died, that, that was a bit more um, shaping for me because he was really the first person to really encourage me to become a teacher. Um, you know, I'm not super close with my own dad. So he was a really big father figure and his um, views on masculinity and masculinity in the teaching profession, which is predominantly female, um, really pushed me. I wasn't very good in school. And so I kind of like wanted to be a teacher because I loved working with kids. You know, I, I like being that fun clown like guy, you know, and um, he really pushed me. He was a high school English teacher um, with a doctoral degree in creative writing, published poet. And he was like an academic, like I, like he was like unacademic. And so uh, he really pushed me to be more intellectual, like take my love of teaching and really turn it into like, I have something to offer the profession that's more than just goofy Mr. Nybauer making kids laugh. Um, so I really feel like, whereas my mom's death shifted me into more of an adult, his death shifted me from teacher as like a job to like teacher as a calling. Like this mm -hmm. is like, I have a, I have something that I can contribute to the academic landscape of the teaching profession that's very long. And even though I wasn't a strong student and I wasn't good in school, um, it kind of pushed me to really value education and value academic discourse and learning for the love of learning. Um, and even when it's hard, because I know that, you know, learning can be hard because I struggled myself. And so he really pushed me to do that. So when he died, that was a really big, that was a big thing for me. Cause I really, I've, I've always gone to him with advice and he's like, and he's 20 years of teaching, like, how do I handle this? And, you know, he's always given me books to read you got to read this. You got like, that's just, and so I, I miss that. And that when he died, that really kind of put me in that role of, okay, so now it's like me, like I'm the, all right, I'm the grown up teacher now, like I'm an adult, but now I'm like a teacher teacher. I'm an educator. And I, I take it very seriously. So I, I, I hope that one day I'll be able to like pay it forward the way that he did, you know, find someone, a, a young teacher, or someone I can mentor, but I hope that I can give other people that sense that he gave me that relationship to learning and education. So. That's amazing. How like you have really amazing relationship with the family that you married into, right. It, yeah. like, on those last two answers, like you both, you've, hit on two elements of that. And that's just amazing. I mean, I imagine that that's probably a source for how you battle cynicism, right? You you have something there 
um, beyond just the job, right? The calling is, uh, yeah. is what's driving you. So, and yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very lucky. I, I, I married well, I married into a, <laughs> a good family. I'm lucky yeah. in a very similar way. Actually. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Um, um, well, on a brighter note, what's a beautiful thing that most people don't appreciate enough? Oh, um, I, yeah, I love laughter. I love the sound of kids laughing. So I, I would say levity is definitely, um, and appreciating humorous moments. I think that there's great beauty in that. And I think that it's underrated. Um, you know, there's a lot of doom and gloom. Like we live in very serious times. It's easy to settle into doom scrolling and scared for the future. Um, but I think there's really great beauty in appreciating humorous moments, um, and amplifying them for the benefit of others, you know, laughter, I, and, uh, levity, I feel like is underrated, um, and overlooked for, I mean, for lack of a better term, like it's healing properties, you know, like I'd really try and bring, you know, a, a, a sense of humor and a, a lightness to, everything that I do. And I love hearing kids laugh. There's something about saying something or doing something that elicits a, a, a gut laughter, a gut laughter that I just love. I, I often joke that if I didn't, if I wasn't a teacher, I would have been a professional clown or a stand-up comic. Um, probably more of the clown than the comic because I have stage fright. But um, when I was in college, this is a total side story, but when I was in college, um, I applied to the Barnum and Bailey Clown College. Oh my in, gosh. In Sarasota, Florida, just to kind of like, I, it was kind of like a, a, like a impulsive thing. I saw a commercial, like an actual commercial on a TV. It was like, do you remember those old truck driving commercials yes. where the number would come across? You want to be a truck driver? Yeah, oh, Hambrick, please. Hambrick truck driving school. Right. <laughs> I, that's what it felt like. It was like, it was like, it was an all call for auditions uh, for clown college. To, to audition to become a clown. And I wrote down the number or I, no, I wrote down the address. It was at the Denver Coliseum. I drove down there and I was like, why not? And I auditioned and I got an application. That was how I made it through the round. I got an application, filled it out and I got in, but I, they, there was something going on with, I can't remember. I remember getting a call from their registrar's office. They were they weren't filing for bankruptcy, but something was happening financially. They couldn't afford out-of-state students. And, oh. you know, fast forward, like the Barnum and Bailey Circus is no more. Like they were right. on the downward slope. But I joke around because I do love making people laugh. And so if I wasn't a teacher, I probably would have been a clown at some point because I love hearing people laugh. Um, and so I, I think that, that that levity is a really beautiful thing that people don't appreciate enough. And I agree with you completely. And I, I feel very much the same way. Um, and I feel like our world is wired in such a serious way, not only current events wise, but institutionally as teachers, right? Everything um, has these like stakes that, uh, and levity is almost openly discouraged in a lot of ways, right? And, and I feel like that is one of the things that makes a person feel um, at home in a space, right? And so if you completely excise that from a classroom, I think you're um, getting rid of a lot of opportunities for engaged learning experiences um, from students. Um, and, and I completely agree with you. Um, and I think that, um, honestly, you talked about the therapeutic value of of laughter. And, and I, I completely agree with that as well. I 
people who read the Substack probably know I am a big fan of horror. Um, and I won't go on and on about that here. But horror and comedy are actually kind of twins in a lot of ways. They're both aimed at darker parts of society. Horror makes us like see it and be afraid of it. Um, comedy actually make lets us poke fun at it comedy is like the lighter side of horror in a lot of ways uh, and so i'm very drawn to comedy as well and, and i think that it um it, it's a, a vital part of being human and it's honestly i just anybody who's watching or listening to this remember all the times that are really memorable to you how many of them involve you laughing at something um that was funny right i mean that that's what makes life worth living and i, and I completely agree with you and and thank yeah. you for that answer absolutely um well, finally, uh, I am an English teacher myself, and so uh, I've sort of drawn to no novels. I like to read them. So if your life were a novel, what would the final chapter be? Oh, that's a good question. I, um, Gosh, I hope that my final chapter is an epilogue. Um, I really hope that it's a final speech, you know, the word epilogue, final. I feel like I, I want it to be something that zooms out and shows maybe all the connections I've made in my life some kind of a panorama view. I mean, I, I love reading well, well-written epilogues that, that even if there's a sense of closure at the last chapter, there's something that just gives you a little bit of extra insight of the scope of the character or the scope of the, of the story. And so I hope that my final chapter is some kind of a epilogue, a panorama view that shares how my small life as a, as a teacher made a difference for others. Um, you know, I hope that final chapter illustrates maybe almost like the butterfly effect, you know, that that was my life that, you know, the things that I did had influence and kind of spread out because I feel like that would be a really settling and comforting thing to read, um, you know, at the at the end. So I see a theme in you, Adrian. Uh, you talked about your life being a drop in a bucket. Right. And then now this thing about the epilogue and the con the the ripple that 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 drop uh had after you were gone right and so i uh seeing yourself as part of a bigger context i think is really a beautiful thing so th um yeah. thank you so much for that um and thank you so much for um sharing this these parts of your life with me i uh, i really appreciate it getting to know you a little bit um i wish you well in the endeavors that you do is the, uh, you have a website uh that people can follow your yeah. ideas and, and and your work you um i'm happy to let you plug that here <laughs> oh absolutely yeah um so i have a website it's uh, uh adrian slash um and it's kind of it started off as a project for my uh master's degree for my thesis just housing all the work that i was doing and it just has grown over the years so if you really want to get into the weeds about what i do and why i do it and how i do it the website's going to be your best bet um and then I'm on uh, Twitter is probably the biggest social media platform I use. And it's at Mr. Nybauer. Um, and I try and just share my classroom, you know, share what's going on in my classroom. It's, it's actually rarely about me and more about the stuff that the kids are doing. So if you want to get a peek into Mr. Nybauer's classroom, I would head over to Twitter. Um, but if you want to kind of get to know the nitty gritty of how I do things and why I do things, um, adriannybauer.com. That's it. And I'll attach links to those um, in the the post that this goes out with. Um, and I can attest, um, I, I know I'm not a tech person at all, but I do surf the web. It is one of the most beautifully designed websites I've ever been on. I have to say, it was, oh, it was a pleasure just to scroll. So uh, oh, I, I highly recommend it. So uh, thank you, Adrian. And thank you, everybody who's listening. And uh, join us again for another episode of Five Questions with Interesting People.